we literally didn't buy lunch or a can of Coke or go out for dinner. We kicked the kids out of their bedroom. They were sleeping in the lounge room and we had like these Asian beauty students in both of their rooms. And Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 184 with Erin Carey. Parenting and running a business while living tiny and traveling full-time is no easy task. But today's guest, Erin Carey, is doing it all. Erin lives on a boat with her family and also runs her own PR agency, a business which she started after making this transition to living tiny. And in this interview, we're going to hear her and her family's story, learn about the kind of headspace and some of the things that Erin did to stay motivated for making this big transition, and also how she is able to stay productive and work from a tiny space when her family is all around and there are obviously a lot of distractions and limited alone time. Uh, It's a really cool conversation, and I hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Precision Temp. Precision Temp is making one product to solve two issues that I know everyone deals with in a tiny house, running out of hot water and heating your tiny house. Precision Temp has made the amazing Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater, which provides unlimited hot water for your tiny house and hydronic heating. This means you get warm, heated floors so there are no cold spots. It's designed specifically for tiny houses and features whisper-quiet operation as well as high efficiency. If you want more information on how Precision Temp can help make living tiny easier and more comfortable, visit precisiontemp.com. While you're there, use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. That website again is precisiontemp.com, coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. I am here with Erin Carey. Erin is the founder of Rome Generation, a travel and lifestyle PR agency focused on helping brands and experts inspire curiosity and exploration through traditional PR done in an untraditional way. Erin is the founder of the only PR agency in the world that is run from a yacht. Additionally, Erin's company is 100% remote, staffed by digital nomads in different points of the globe. By raising clients' brand awareness, elevating their credibility, and generating leads, Rome Generation aims to share the gift of travel with as many people as possible because, for Erin and her team, travel has been life-changing. Erin Carey, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And, you know, you've been uh, like a behind-the-scenes um, player for the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast because you have introduced me to several of of my some of my most interesting guests, I would say, have come uh-huh. through you, and now it's time to to put you in the in the hot seat. Although, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you any uh, <laughs> any gotcha questions. But um, welcome to the show, and and I guess yeah. I wanted to just start with um, you know, hearing the story of you and your family, and and why you decided to live on a boat. Yeah, sure. We haven't have known each other for a while now, so it's nice to finally be here and speak to you and to share my story. I'm always promoting other people's stories, so it's nice sometimes to reflect on your own story and think about how far you've come. So for us, our journey, I guess, began in about 2015, and we were, you know, a regular regular family, whatever that is these days. But we were living in the suburbs. We both worked. Mars and I both worked full time. We had three children and one evening my husband and I were just sitting down to watch Netflix and he happened to put on a documentary and the documentary was about Laura Decker, the youngest girl to have ever sailed around the world. Now at that time we had no interest in sailing. We had never dreamt of doing anything remotely crazy like that. But her sailing around the world really resonated with both of us and I think it was just the adventure, the simple life, and maybe the, all the nature that was constantly surrounding her. But 
we we were both inspired after watching that documentary to completely change our lives. So did you know how to sail before watching the documentary? We did not. Okay. We did not know how to sail. We had never owned a boat. Like like you, we, <laughs> I don't know how to stress this enough. We were nowhere, anywhere near becoming full-time liverboard sailors living on a boat we were basically the furthest you could imagine from that wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, we, d- we didn't have any savings we had a big mortgage we were just like in the thick of life with three young kids and something to this day I don't know what it was but something spoke to us and it was enough to make us com- like completely change our lives so it took two years and two months from that day to then fly out of Australia on one-way ticket to uh, the Caribbean and that is where we saw our boat for the very first time. We had purchased her sight unseen already over the internet and when we arrived into Grenada in the Caribbean, we um, we kind of saw her for the very first time and we had moved out of a regular-sized Australian house, three-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-living area into a 47-foot space. And uh, it was it was a huge change, but uh, here we are a few years later, still on the boat. Although wow. there has been a bit of a, a break in between because of COVID, but yeah, that's basically the short version of the story. Wow. So how how old were your children when you left? When we left Australia, the youngest was three, and then we had a six and an eight year old. Okay. All boys. So they they probably they were all old enough to have opinions about this as well. What did they think about this big change? Well, the first time around, because we've kind of had two goes at this. The first okay. time around, they were too young to really have an opinion or a thought. And three year old especially was you know since he was one, it was always just when we moved to the boat and we talked about it so much that it was just a natural thing that we just moved to the boat and they were excited and it was wonderful. However, then COVID happened and we were stuck home for 18 months and going back a second time was more challenging uh, because the children had become old enough to have an opinion and to have made friends at school and to not want to leave their nana, pop and cousins. So that was more challenging the second time around, although they were excited because um they realised that school was actually six hours a day back home and mum and dad work all day and they go to after school care and, you know, they they did start to definitely miss what boat life offered. Yeah. But they're old enough now to also remember very clearly of things they're missing out on back home as well. So it's challenging at times. Yeah. it it um I think that any time you're looking at tiny living, and I certainly consider, you know, living on a boat to be tiny living as well. You know, there are, there always are sacrifices, you know, things you have to give up in order to gain, you know, something else in return. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's probably quite good timing that we're talking about this now because, you know, I'm always very open about what we're going through. And just recently we're, we're in Africa and it's really hot and it's, there's no green spaces for the kids to play. There aren't any children here that speak English. And um, sometimes it, it does feel like a, a big sacrifice that we're making and you start to question, is this the right thing that we're doing? I mean, I'm sure that people living in tiny homes that don't move sometimes question if they've done the right thing as well. But then, as always happens in boat life, something great usually happens or you meet a new person or you, you travel to a new place and yeah you, I think when the good when the bad happens you have to always remember that there's something good coming and to just kind of hold out for it but yeah it, at the time it feels like a lot and my children never kind of hold back their opinion that we've torn them away from <laughs> their own bedroom and you know because they all share a room together and mm-hmm. I tell myself that deep down I believe I do honestly believe this that they will thank me for this when they're adults (laughs) but um yeah for now I'm just have to the classic you'll thank me when you're older yeah exactly I'm like please let that be true no I'm painting a bad picture most of the time they like it out here but because they're almost teenagers now they certainly don't beat around the bush when they're (laughs) 
(laughs) when they're not happy about something. Yeah. So what are, what are some things that you, that you like about living on the boat and like all tiny living? What are, what are some of the things that you are like less than thrilled about? Yeah. It's funny because I always say on paper, I probably wouldn't be the kind of person that would like to live on a boat. I I don't know why I associate living on a boat as someone who's sporty. I wasn't particularly sporty in mm-hmm. as a kid. I wouldn't say I love camping. You know, I'm a girly girl. I like to have, have wear nice clothes and do my hair and makeup and all that kind of jazz. So I didn't. I was worried that I wouldn't like living on a boat. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that out of the whole family, I probably like it the most. Okay. So what do I like about it? I like that. As hard as it is, I like that my family are all in a small space together. And this is one thing I definitely missed when we moved back home was the fact that when you're in a regular regular to large-sized house, we're all in a small space together. It's a good environment for a, a lot of, like, incidental conversations and, you know, as much as it, there's that, you know, you can't escape your kids and I think in living in the rat race, Mm-hmm. It, it's just normal amongst us mums that we would be like, oh my God, my kids are driving me crazy. I can't wait till they go to the babysitters or go to school or my parents look after them on the weekend and stuff. I wanted to force myself to want to be around my children. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds terrible, but that's just the reality of things. Being around your kids 24 7 is super hard. And thankfully, I don't homeschool them. My husband does that. And he's like an absolute saint for being able to do that because I tried first time around and probably failed pretty miserably. So this time around, I run my business. He does the homeschooling. But, you know, the good thing is because we're in such close quarters, I can be having a conversation here. Someone can jump in that's, you know, in the saloon and then someone can be in the galley and they can also be involved in the conversation and, if there's a TV program and we can all kind of comment on it, they're all in the one little space. Whereas that just doesn't happen when you when you're in a big home. So I like that we can, I think, you know, we can have more. We've got a closer relationship. I like to think because we are physically closer as well. What else do I like? I mean, besides the obvious things that are specific to living on a boat. Obviously, we can move our home. Uh, there's the, the freedom, the adventure, being able to explore new places and all that is obviously fabulous. It's also the community that um, is in this sailing environment. There's a lot of people that actually live on boats and it's amazing to be able to meet new people all the time and to be able to instantly have something in common with them and if it's not meeting them in person, there's also like a great virtual community or through Facebook and on different forums and things. So that's really great. It like really feeling like you're a part of something. Uh, and then what else do I like about I, I like I like my little office and I like the feeling of coming home from an adventure and a day, you know, might have been snorkeling and you come home and our boat is a monohull, so we go down the ladder into the saloon and it's just so cosy. Our boat is all wood on the inside and it's an English boat. It's a very strong, sturdy boat and it's almost like you're in this little English cottage almost. Okay. It's cosy and it's homely and it, it's it's warm and it, it kind of is what it is. There's nothing you can really do to it to make it fancier. It's a 1984 boat. She's, you know, she's not modern. Uh, you know, besides putting up some cushions and hanging plants and different bits and pieces, the, you know, the settees, what it is, it's not like you can go out and buy a leather couch or you can replace the the TV stand or anything. You know, we don't have a TV stand. So it's a lot less stress. You just don't have to worry about making your home beautiful like I felt the pressure to do that back home in Australia yeah so yeah there's lots of little yeah lots of cool things now it seems like it's so hard for people who are considering a big life change like going tiny or living on a boat it's so or instead of saying it's so hard it's so easy to come up with 
I'm going to say excuses, but I don't mean that in a judgmental way, just reality. Like, oh, I'd love to do this right now, but I have kids or I'd love to do this right now, but mm-hmm. I have my own business or, or all these kinds of things. Yeah. And I'm curious, can you like put us into your thinking, into your headspace when you were making this decision as a family? Like, how did you overcome all of those all of that resistance that that must have been there both inside and also f- outside. I'm sure family and friends were like, oh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of crazy. Oh, yeah, totally. How did you how did you overcome all that to, to really do this? Hmm. Yeah, I've got to remember back. We definitely came across resistance. I remember announcing it to our family and friends, which we did quite soon after making our decision. Uh, because I think that was all part of it. We had to believe that we were going to do it. If there was any doubt in our mind, it wasn't going to happen. So after, I think it was as little as two weeks, after seeing the documentary, watch, finding some YouTube channels, searching out a few blog posts and and finding out that other families were actually out there doing this, our motto became, they can do it, why can't we? Mm-hmm. So. Once we started using that language of, uh, yeah, instead of, oh, we'd like, we'd, we were thinking of living on a boat, we started telling people we are going to live on a boat and when we move to the boat and when we uh, buy our boat. And so we were really particular to use that language and I think that definitely helped not only other people take us seriously but our mindset. Other than that, we really immersed ourselves into the the community, I suppose, and into the world of people sailing around. And we did that by, you know, continuously watching YouTube channels every night. It was like our thing. We'd worked hard, we'd done all the research, we'd sit down and watch a couple of YouTube episodes and that would just keep us on, on track and in the right mindset. We reached out to people, we networked, we did courses. Uh, we started researching boats. We found a, a coach, actually, and that was a huge part of our success. And I don't know if there's such thing in, like, just becoming a tiny house person. I'm sure there probably is these days. But, uh, you know, there's people that help you downsize, that help you declutter. There's all these kind of things. This coach specifically helped us, helped families go from people that lived in houses to people that lived in boats. And they were instrumental in our success. So they were called... They are called Sailing Totem. They still live out on the ocean. They've got three kids and they've sailed around the world. So they were really helpful. I also believe, and I didn't experience this, I don't think I had experienced this until all of this kind of project was in, in motion, but the universe completely opened up and helped us out in so many ways. And then I'm not normally into that stuff, but there were too many things for it to not be true and that you know that's how how it works the secret and whatever else you you start becoming aware of you know you're becoming more positive and you change your mindset and then all of a sudden you're noticing all these different things so so many opportunities arose during that two years for us to meet amazing people and different um, different connections and we made friends with people who'd done it prior to us and we got to go sailing on um, big yachts because we'd reached out to someone and they just wanted to take us under their wing. And so we had lots of exciting opportunities along the way. And thankfully all of those little things added up to, I, I, we like to say that at, the, at no one stage did either hus- my husband or myself want to quit at the same time. <laughs> so there were, times where I was like oh this is too hard and then there were times when he was saying it was too hard but luckily it was never both at the same time because happening at we had to times. make some pretty yeah we had to make some pretty big sacrifices during those two years and it was hard to maintain I don't think we could have gone much longer and I think that's a, a good tip is if you're going to do this set a date that's like so important And that would be relevant to doing anything. And in this kind of space, moving into a caravan or building a tiny house, whatever, set a date, work backwards. And like that date is just non-negotiable. I mean, obviously it can change if it has to, but if you're acting as though it's definitely going to happen on that date, then if things just amazingly fall into place. And so we figured that we 
probably couldn't keep up the, that momentum for much more than a couple of years. Yeah. And um, so we went hard because we knew we only had to do it for two years and it was easier than I think if we knew it was like a 10-year goal, there'd be no way that we could have stuck to it because we, we literally didn't buy lunch or a can of Coke or go out for dinner. Uh, we had international uni students living with us sometimes two at a time. We kicked the kids out of their bedroom. They were sleeping in the lounge room and we had like these Asian uni students in both of their rooms. Yeah. We just did what it took and we saved up like the most money we ever have saved. I think we saved about 85000 which for us was huge. Yeah. And we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't. I mean, we would have had the exact same money coming in, but if you had have asked me prior to this goal, could you save 85000 I would have said, no way, no. But because we had this goal and we'd set a date and we had a timeline and we had to get it done, we just somehow managed to get it done. Yeah, that's that resonates with me a lot. Um, kind of in my lead up to going tiny, I was, because it was a dream that I really believed in and I had set this date and I had this, you know, I had to save the money to do it. I was able to put away money so much easier than I ever was in the past, just with that goal in mind. It was so much easier to like not go out to dinner or not order a beer or not, you know, do all these things because you, you kind of are saying, okay, I'm going to get this, this thing at the end. But that's great exactly. advice about just trying to not be in that state for too long because that's like the hardest stage. It's like you're, you're still living your old life. You're not getting any yeah. of the benefits of the new life, but you're, mm -hmm. you've really put a lot of sacrifices into place. Um, you know, for tiny house dwellers, oftentimes it's like, Hey, I'm still paying rent, mm. you know, until I can move into this tiny house, I'm still having to carry the rent and, you know, pay for my build or work on my build or all those things. Um, yeah, a lot yeah. of parallels there. Yeah. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the sponsor for today's show, Precision Temp. One of the hardest things about being in my tiny house in the winter is that the floors are really cold. And I could have solved that problem by adding more insulation, but the reality is that a tiny house on a trailer is always going to have cold floors or much colder floors than you're used to if you are coming from a house that has a basement or is even built on a slab. So the Precision Temp Twin Temp Junior propane tankless water heater can actually help solve this problem because you can install heated floors in your house and you can do it with the same appliance that provides you with unlimited hot water. So the Twin Temp Junior really does solve two issues with one appliance, which let's be honest, in a tiny house, space matters, cost matters, and just being more intentional. So you get to use one appliance for two purposes. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP at checkout. Head over to their website, precisiontemp.com, for more information on how Precision Temp can help make tiny living easier and more comfortable. And while you're there, be sure to use the coupon code THLP for $100 off the Twin Temp Junior plus free shipping. Thanks so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. It, oh, look, there's something to be said for goal setting. And the amazing thing is now that we have pulled off that goal, I really do believe that we can do so many other great things. So it's, it's a muscle and we've just flexed it. And now I'm like, you know, I'm not always like, what's next, what's next? I'm obviously enjoying what we're doing now, but mindfully yeah. we're not going to do this forever. And I'm like, well, what is next? We can really, like, you know, within money constraints and everything, we can choose anything yeah, and make it happen if we want it to. Yeah, I love that. So I'm curious, I want to get into a little bit more about kind of working from the boat and productivity kind of things. But first, I wanted to just ask, like, what stage was your business at when you were, you know, during these two years when you were getting ready to leave? Was it already established? It wasn't. No, I worked for the Australian government in a communications kind of role, but definitely not in my own business. And so I'd always been a public servant. 
when we left for our adventure, we were both given, my husband and I, two years leave without pay from our jobs. So the first round before COVID was actually a sabbatical. We were only meant to be going for two years. And once we were out, out in the Caribbean, sailing around for the first 12 months, I didn't work at all. However, I felt like something was missing. And I think that's when I felt like I wanted a challenge, not to mention that our bank account was dwindling faster than we had anticipated. So I started kind of thinking, what skills do I have? What can I do to earn money? And it's, it's so hard. <laughs> I found it really daunting to go, we don't actually need that much. The amount of money that I want to make is like medium wage back in Australia. Like mm-hmm. it's nothing crazy. How why is it so hard to go from zero to, you know, to create something from scratch? And so it took a little bit of a time to get off the ground. First of all, I started writing because I was keeping a Facebook page and people keep saying and kept saying, you know, I love your writing. Why don't you you write? write for magazines, whatever. I was like, yep, done, good. I can try to do that. I certainly never thought that I would do something like that. But, you know, I've flexed that muscle now. So now I'm like, hey, if I can pull this off, let's just write about it as well. So I started writing for magazines. And then along the way, we actually bumped into one of our idols, these YouTube channels that I said that we were watching every night to stay like enthused. We bumped into that the number two YouTube channel in the world. And for us, it was like meeting rock stars. You know, we were so starstruck. But before we knew it, we were like playing volleyball with them on the beach and they invited us aboard and, you know, my kids would go over and chat with them and stuff. And so then after becoming friends with them and I'm writing articles, they were like, hey, what if you write articles about us? Like, sure, you know, that I'll um I'll write articles and I'll pitch them to magazines and hopefully we can get you some publicity. And then I was like, hold on a minute, this is PR. Why don't I just do this? Like I love this. I get to uh, you know, I'm really good at making connections and I'm like a dog with a bone. If I want something I've got to go after it until I can get it kind of thing. So it just naturally evolved and it was actually yeah, like a full circle that it was S V Delos, the YouTubers that kind of inspired me to start doing it and yet they were also the ones that inspired us to buy the boat and kind of go out sailing during those two years as well so that was super cool so yeah my business like it's fairly young it's only about two years old and it's gone from you know being something that kind of boosted our sailing kitty to now fully supporting us while we sail around the world and when I say around the world you know you can never say how far around the world you're going to get because things change so often out here. But I think the goal would be maybe to make it all the way back to Australia. But who knows? We just take it one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, well, that's so cool. So you met you met these these SV Delos, and they they didn't like tell you to start a business, but they kind of you kind of realized that you had something that you could do that would be, you know, something that you could get paid to do yeah I had I was solving their problem they I I had all these skills in interviewing because I'd spent my career interviewing thousands of people so I interviewed them wrote an article about them and got it published in the magazine and they're like hey we we've been trying to get more publicity can you just keep doing that for us and then you know that's what essentially it's not exactly what I do anymore but it's essentially just one part of PR so I, my very first client was the second largest sailing YouTube channel in the world, which, you know, I still pinch myself that that happened. And then from there, because I had SB Dallas as my client, I then got Lynn Party, another world-famous sailor, and it's kind of just gone on from there that I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. And I think, you know, people, people kind of say, oh, you're just so lucky, everything just falls into place for you. And I think there is like an element of that, but I don't think they also see, you know, in the background how hard we work to get all this happening and how many sacrifices we made to get out here. Right. And um, so, yeah, look, I, I am I am a believer that we're very fortunate, but we also have worked extremely hard to get to where we are as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to move into kind of the working from your boat questions because that's something that 
I certainly struggle with, you know, I also, I have my own business. I work from home. Um, and I'm curious how you have kind of what you've done on the boat to create a space and boundaries around, around the work that you do. Right. So when we first moved back onto the boat, because the first 18 months, two years on the boat, I literally sat on the bed and worked on the laptop on my computer and that was, my tailbone is still damaged from that. So this time around, it was not an option, but I would, you know, both my husband and I surveyed our cabin so many times and could not figure out a way that we could incorporate a desk into this cabin. And there was nowhere else in the boat, you know, I needed locked doors. <laughs> so there was there's nowhere else in the boat that I could have worked from. So for the first three or so months that we were back on the boat for the second time, I literally sat on the side of the bed, like using the bed as a seat and then had a workspace where I, so I didn't have any back backrest at all. I sat on the side of the bed and worked on like a dressing table kind of thing. And that was just ridiculous. Like my back was so sore by the end of each day and it was never going to work long-term. So my husband got serious. He's like, right, this is not going to work. If, if Aaron's supporting us out here, she needs a good workspace to work in otherwise we'll be home before we know it so he literally pulled out part of the boat and the fiberglass was exposed and he built me an ergonomic workspace so I've got like a beautiful desk he actually also put in a hard floor because you know a boat's floor is kind of curved so we don't have any flat spaces to put a chair and you know, boats aren't designed to bring furniture into. Everything's built into the boat. So even just the challenge of where can we sit a chair was enormous. So he built me a platform. So it's almost like I'm sitting on a little stage. It's, I don't know, maybe a foot high so that I've got a nice flat space. And then we searched around for the perfect small chair with a small, you know, base of legs that could fit in this platform. Mm-hmm. and then he measured we obviously wanted to make sure it was all ergonomic so my desk is now right beside his bed and we had to make it wide enough that I could fit my arm comfortably and the other arm on the mouse and be able to use my keyboard and have dual screens so I've got a good setup like I'd, there's nothing more that I would really need or want if I was in a proper office but at the same time we had to make sure I didn't encroach onto his sleeping space and that he wasn't going to kick it during the night and so yeah, it, it's amazingly worked out. I've got like a little cover that opens up next to me. As you can see, I've got my little like planter yep. Um, yep. thing hanging behind me and I've got dual screens uh, and like little bits and pieces on my desk. So I couldn't ask for anything more. It's exactly what I would choose if I was living anywhere else. So I would have obviously had a bigger desk at home, but this is all I need. So it does the job really well. Yeah, totally. It's it's funny because like one of the I don't know if it's a mantra, but one of the things that that you hear in the tiny house world is like you know, intentionally not including things in your house, like for instance, a shower. Some tiny house dwellers, you know, shower a few times a week, maybe they work in an office or they work out in a gym, like rather than wasting the space, you can kind of get that outside of the house. Um and the same thing, you know, I've always thought like, hey, you know, if I was really going to like my wife and I don't live full time in our tiny house at this point. But, you know, if we did, I would I would probably consider renting a small office space somewhere just because now that I do this podcast, I have you know, I have equipment, I have microphones, I have a big screen so I can look at you and my notes and the recording. And, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. things have grown, but like on the boat, you have had to you, you have no choice to do that outside of your house everything has to happen there yeah exactly and I think that's the thing if even if you lived in a tiny home you could go to a a co-working space during during the day or you leave the boat or you leave sorry leave the tiny home to go to work and your workspace isn't tiny because you work in a massive office building or whatever it is so for us everything's tiny and we can't even escape into the the backyard or the forest or whatever around us we're surrounded in water often Mm -hmm. at the moment we're on a marina so we can step up onto land but quite often we're anchored which means that 
we've only got this 47 foot space to do everything we want to do and for my husband in particular it's been tough because we came from a house that had a massive shed and he's into you know building things and creating things and adding a shed and doing cars up and so he had to create that feeling because that's what the shed was for him his man cave where he went for time out and he's an introvert so I think that's probably why I do so well on the boat because I'm not an introvert I don't need that space I don't need the alone time whereas I think we've found that the introverts among us the five of us actually miss the physical space as much as well so I don't know if that's an interesting kind of thing or if it's obvious but Mm -hmm. so he missed that that huge space where he would go to escape so he had to recreate that on a boat now it's amazing what you can do (laughs) when you have such a tiny space but you're determined to figure it out and we have two toilets and he's converted the front toilet Uh, it's still a toilet he just puts like a plank of wood over it and we had a washing machine in there he's moved the washing machine to another spot in the boat and now he's got this tiny little workshop slash toilet we joke that you know he's going to his toilet (laughs) Um, but in this toilet that he's created into a workshop he has all his tools he's made tiny little shelves that fit in the in the cupboards and on the walls to put all his tools he's even installed like a um oh god I should have asked him what it was but some sort of like bench grinder and he's got a, a vice attached to the bench and so yeah, he's got a, a good setup. Obviously, it's a, a joke compared to the however many square meters four car, five car garage used to have back in Australia, but it still represents that same kind of feeling and serves the same purpose. So, I think it's important that each people, each person in the family has that. And for me, certainly, my desk and workspace is that. Like, I love my job. I can shut the doors amazingly. It's actually quite soundproof, although having these soundproof AirPods is also next level and super important to have because I can at least put those on to shut out any noise. But, yeah, we've fitted locks to both doors because there's, like, two entrance ways to get into our room. And it's it serves a purpose. It's, it's quiet. It's comfortable we now have air conditioning which is amazing and um I feel really content in here and I think that's important and the kids are probably lacking that same space the first time around they were smaller so they could sit up in their beds quite comfortably and that was kind of their little hangout area okay but my son now 12 years old is bigger than me and because the bunks is not like a full amount of head space so he they can sit up but they have to be kind of slouching and so it's getting more uncomfortable for them. So, you know, we're mindful that eventually they'll probably just be all too big to live in a boat because the three boys, they're probably going to be enormous. But for now, it's, it's definitely doable. But as they get older, yeah, who knows what we'll do then. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that I've noticed about, you know, having my own business and working from home is that it's really easy to just end up working all the time um, because it's right there. It's like, Sounds like it's right in the bedroom for, for you practically. Yeah. So what are some ways that you've, you know, do you set hours? Like how do you carve out, you know, family time versus work time? Yeah, look, I'm definitely not an expert at this and I have been known to be just working all the time because I like it. And um, it's, I think it's always like, well, when I don't know what to do, oh, I may as well just work. And that's probably a bit of a trap that I've fallen into, but I, I make an effort to not work on weekends. So that's just straight up an easy way to do it is just don't work on weekends. And honestly, I have good, a good reason not to work on the weekend because I'm often in a new place and I want to go and explore. And if I'm working full time during the week, if I don't explore on the weekend, honestly, what's the point of being out here? So we use that time to to check out the countries that we're in. And my children sometimes the little ones like mommy you know you come out you're working and I'm like well I am but if we were in Australia I would be at work for like you know nine hours and you would have gone to before school care and after school care and you wouldn't be able to just pop in here 17 times a day for a cuddle (laughs) so I you know whilst I do feel guilty I try and also not feel too guilty because I'm here I'm able to solve all these little problems and give cuddles and 
break up fights and, you know, come out about for lunch and morning tea and whatever. So uh, besides taking weekends off, I just try and have lunch. And I think it's uh, great where we are right now because in Tunisia it's so cheap. So we're often able to eat out for lunch. So we'll just go for a walk and check out the town, find a cheap little cafe for lunch or whatever. But, yeah, other than that, I wish I had some more tips because (laughs) I think I need some as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we all just figure it out as we go along, and it sounds like you've you've you are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing; nothing's set in stone, and this lifestyle is notorious. So it's just constantly changing, and you just get something kind of set up how you think it's going to work out, and then you move countries, and it doesn't work in the next country. Yeah. In Spain, uh, we just somehow fell into the you know the siesta. We weren't taking siestas, but we would have downtime during the day and then head out at night because that's just kind of what everyone did. Whereas Tunisia, it's dark at 6.30. So we were so um, involved in the Spanish way of life and then to come straight here, we've had to change our lifestyle. So we're going to bed earlier and getting getting up earlier in the morning and doing things yeah. in the morning when it's cooler. So, yeah, that's, that's one thing that um, is always the same in boat life is that it's never the same. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. What about internet? Because that's something that people who travel in tiny houses and vans can struggle with. I would imagine that it can be even more challenging. I, I compliment you because this the call has been flawless and you're sitting on a boat in Tunisia. Yeah. Look, I have nothing too exciting to say about this. Yeah. We buy SIM cards, local SIM cards. We go through a fair bit. Uh, in Europe, I was lucky enough to meet a guy who was willing to put like a $10 unlimited SIM on his plan. And so I have unlimited internet in Europe, although it's not working here in, in Africa. So we're back to buying local SIMs. To be honest, it's not crazy expensive. It's no more expensive than it would be in Australia. We pay mm-hmm. around, I think I've got, I recently just got a hundred gig for about 50 Australian dollars. Nice. So we usually buy about two or three cards at a time between my phone, my husband's phone, and then a spare one at all times because it always runs out when you, you know, least expect it or need it to run out. We just kind of keep hotspotting. So I am able to run my whole business by hotspotting off my phone and it's wow. strong enough to do Zoom calls and, you know, I'm on, on, on and off Zoom all day long. So other than that, we do have a device that actually is created for yachting, but I wonder if it would work. I'm sure it would work in the tiny home kind of space. It's a like a 4G router. Okay. And so it kind of gives us Wi-Fi throughout the whole boat and but also increases the strength of the signal. So maybe it would work if you're in a forest or something. And so we kind of use that as well, although we haven't had to rely on it too much because the hotspotting of our phones just works so well. My kids are able to watch Netflix and everything on the TV and Nice. So, like, we live a pretty regular life considering that we are living such an untraditional lifestyle as well. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is important and comforting. You know, I didn't want to completely change our life. So just say the kids, you can't go on your iPads or watch TV. Like, we're still living a pretty regular childhood, which is important. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, thanks for sharing everything. I mean, it's has, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you that you were wanting to share about your your life on the boat? I don't think so. I think we've covered most of it. I just had like some dot points about you know is a boat maybe a good tiny home alternative? And I'd like to say that it is, but honestly, deep down, it's probably not as it's probably not because, A, I'm sure the investment of a boat probably costs a bit more than a tiny home, although you can get boats for different prices. But the maintenance, I think, would be the killer of yeah. a boat compared to the maintenance cost of a tiny home. But then obviously there's the the positives that you can move your home around and the freedom to explore and the community. But I also believe that the tiny home community is very strong as well. So You'd be surprised. No, I don't think. You'd be surprised at how expensive tiny homes are getting. Yeah. Yeah. For, you know, for a professionally built one that you don't build yourself in, in the States here. I mean, you can expect to pay anywhere from 60 to a hundred thousand us dollars. 
Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. We paid 90000 yeah. for our boat. So, yeah, you could get a boat for the same price. But then we allow about 10% of our boat purchase plus a year in maintenance. So I think that might be more. But Yeah, I'm sure the maintenance is a lot yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like quite stressful. My husband yeah. works like almost full time keeping it up and keeping you, it afloat. <laughs> you know, I actually, there's actually another thing that I want to ask you about. And that is mm. um, when people are, especially when people are DIY building their tiny homes. There are times when then when they want to try to get media coverage or get, you know, news stories written about them or just kind of get attention for various reasons. Sometimes people try to get uh, local businesses and companies to sponsor them with materials. Uh, sometimes it's about raising money for a particular cause. I'm curious if you have any any PR tips for kind of DIY builders who are looking to kind of get more exposure um, for their projects. Yeah, good question. Well, that's what we specialize in. And uh, okay, what can I say? You've got to remember that when you're approaching the media, they're not doing you a favor. So you're not going to go to them and say, you know, can you do me a favor and write a story about me? Going to them with a story that's going to compel them to write about you because PR is uh, not marketing. We're not telling them what to say, what to write about you. We are compelling them with a uh, intriguing storyline that they are going to then share with their audience because remember the whole point of this is that they are going to be able to offer takeaways and special um, tips and advice to their audience. So uh, the way to do it is to probably scan the media for other similar articles, other articles about tiny homes, other people in your space that have been written about. Take note of what uh, magazines and publications they're in uh, take a look at who has written about them and start building a list. So once you've got a list of potential publications and potential editors and journalists, then write what is called a pitch. So a pitch is an email essentially about three paragraphs that say, you know, who you are, why, what your story is, why it's important and why now, uh, and like what problem are you solving by, by, by doing this. So you might be able to say, um, you know, I, I'm building a tiny home and I really want to talk about uh, the, the benefits of living in a tiny home and I'll be able to touch on these points. You might bring some dot points and uh, essentially, you know, I'd love to connect with you if you'd like to arrange an interview, like here's my number or whatever. So it's it's succinct, it's, uh, it's short and then you send that off. However, PR is extremely hard to land because these journalists are receiving hundreds of emails a day. So don't be put off if you don't get a reply. So you're not going to just send one or two or three or five emails. You've got to send like send 50 if you can, send 100. Wow. Because you're not going to get a response. You know, you might and hopefully you do, but it is pretty hard. You've got to have thick skin and you've just got to keep trying. And then don't just send one email, but send two more. So send three all together. Second one is like a general email. We're like, hey, just checking, usually about five days, you know, five to seven days later, just checking in, wondering if you received my last email, uh, wondering if you're interested in a story, and then add a little bit more value. Add like another tip or something else you can speak about or a photo or a link to a video or something. And then the third one's just a generic, um, hey, just wanted to do one last follow-up. Would love to speak to you and share with your audience, you know, these tips that I have. And then after those three, if you don't get a response, don't go back to them again because they'll blacklist you or <laughs> whatever. But, yeah, but they're my tips is to find like-minded people that have done it and have been written about. Insider is a big one that writes a lot about tiny homes, tiny living. Yep. Actually, just today, I think, or very recently released an article about the mental health aspects of living tiny. So that's that's the key. Find something that you can talk about. So don't make it just a generic pitch about tiny homes. Mm -hmm. Make it about the mental health aspects of tiny living or living in a tiny home compared to living on a boat. You know, come up with a story that you can imagine there being a headline about it. Right, right. And then, yeah, compel the, the editor to write about it. Very cool. Very cool. 
Mm. Well, thank you for sharing those tips. I think those are going to really help You're people right. out. That's a that's not easy to to sum up that process in a couple <laughs> minutes, but I think you did a really good job. <laughs> Awesome. And if anyone has any more questions, like send me an email. I'm happy to always help and pass on tips. My social media often has tips and pointers on how people can hack their own PR because I know that not everyone can afford PR. It's not the cheapest process, Mm -hmm. but that is because it's so time consuming. So yeah, always happy to help. Right, right. But based on what you just explained to me, it's clear why it's expensive because it's just incredibly time consuming and the, the conversion rate is low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the reason why you get so many, so few responses is because they don't have a relationship with you. So we have, you know, for the past two years been building those relationships so that when our email lands in their inbox, yep. they're not going to just hit delete where they may do that with you because they've never heard of your name before. Right. But the more right. you keep persisting and keep trying, keep sending, they'll be like, hey, Ethan, Ethan I recognize that name. I'll just open it. And then, you know, that little seed is planted. They might still say no, but they've written back. So you're like, yes, I've got a foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And because they wrote back that one time, you like reach out to them again a couple of months later. And yeah. So, and in that, in the background, we've been following them on Twitter and liking them on Instagram and leaving little comments on, on their LinkedIn page and stuff. Yeah. So yep. a whole lot more to it than just sending an email and saying, Hey, can you write a story about me? Cool. Well, great. Great tips. Thank you so much. Um, no worries. Well, I will, why don't you tell everyone where, where they can find you if they have more questions yeah. or want to get some PR services? Sure. So my business is called Rome Generation, R-O-A-M. Rome also happens to be the name of our boat. So that's www.romegeneration.com. That's for the PR side of things. All our social media is also under at Rome Generation. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested in like our, our lifestyle and the travel side of things, I've also got a Facebook page and that's Sailing to Rome. So Sailing, T-O-R-O-A-M. And um, they just find a bit about where up, where we're at and what we're up to and photos of our boat and stuff. So you can check that out and see if maybe boat life is uh, an alternative to tiny living. Fantastic. All right. Well, Erin Carey, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. No worries. Thank you so much for having me, Ethan. Thank you so much to Erin Carey for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes for today's episode, including a full transcript and links to Erin's website and some photos of her and her family on their boat at thetinyhouse.net slash 184. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 184.